The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this Sunday is our gospel. Luke 2, 41-52 is printed in your bulletin and already read. Dear friends in Christ, I hope it is safe to talk about it now. If I had mentioned it a few weeks ago, there might still be some raw emotions involved or some lingering frustrations, perhaps with a spouse or a child, maybe with yourself. Otherwise, just with the way what was supposed to be a merry Christmas task turned into trouble. You, you may have escaped it this year, but had it in other years Yours might also be one of those rare families so well organized that it never happens, but it happens regularly to so many people that you can probably relate. Sometime in late November or early December, you go looking, or you send your husband or daughter or someone looking for a particular piece of the trimmings for the Christmas tree or the decorations on or around the house, and it is not to be found. Since 11 months have passed since it was last used, there's a struggle to remember. Is it where it's supposed to be, or did it end up somewhere else? Was it put away right? Was it even put away Is it with the tree lights in that box, the ornaments in that tub, or sitting on a shelf somewhere else because it was the last thing taken down and never joined the rest or or didn't fit where or or if you're the one who can't find the thing you're looking for, it's certainly most comfortable to blame circumstances or someone else for your struggles and If the person you sent can't find it, well then, it must be his or her fault for not looking in the right place. And of course, that's always the problem when you can't find something. Because if you looked in the right place, you would find it. Now, if Christmas decorating were a scavenger hunt, the fun would all be in the searching. But it's not. So it's frustration you get when you don't find the thing you're looking for in the place you're looking for it. That star or angel might be exactly the thing you need to top off your tree and make it perfect. That one string of lights might be the only one that works right on the spruce in your front yard. That special handmade ornament from great aunt Irene might be the last link to your family traditions. But it's no good to you or anyone if you can't find it because you're looking in all the wrong places. Some thought like that would have been on the minds of Mary and Joseph as they searched frantically for Jesus. They knew very well how special a child he was and a gift to the world. But if they lost him, if he couldn't be found, They would have worried that he could never be any good to them or anyone. Their sense of loss and responsibility and dread would have grown with each hour that passed once they discovered that he was not with them on the way back to Nazareth after the Passover. 
Luke doesn't tell us everything they did and everywhere they went, but we do know this. For three whole days, they were looking for Jesus in all the wrong places. Now, humanly speaking, one of the more frustrating things about this for Mary and Joseph undoubtedly was the fact that they knew they really couldn't blame Jesus for being lost. They knew full well that he was not a rebellious or willful child or even a thoughtless one, which meant that they had to eventually confess that the main reason he wasn't with them was probably because they hadn't told him to be with them. They had just assumed that their perfectly obedient son would, of course, join the group when it left Jerusalem to head back to Nazareth. Now, realizing that didn't actually help them find Jesus, of course, nor did it calm their wearied hearts or, or chase the fearful thoughts out of their minds. What, what if something horrible has happened to him? Is he hungry? Has, has he eaten? He's so innocent. Did somebody take advantage of him? What, what if a slaver saw him alone and, and took him and sold him? How could we ever get him back? What if he joined the wrong group and traveled a day or more in the wrong direction? But no matter what they were thinking or feeling, they still had to search for Jesus. So they checked the obvious places first with their, their relatives and friends in the group. And not finding him there, they had to. They turned around and went back to Jerusalem, a full day's journey. Where would they have looked? Perhaps the place where they'd been staying on their visit. Maybe he never left. Not there. Perhaps the, the busy marketplace. He, he'd been so fascinated by the people and the things they were selling. Not there. Maybe, maybe he wanted a look at Herod's palace or gardens. They could look there. Or... Maybe he made friends with some boys his age and just stayed with them. Maybe some of the other visitors to Jerusalem from all over the empire check all the inns and lodging places. And every and any place they could think of, Mary and Joseph searched for him. But they were looking in all the wrong places. So it took them three days to find him. Three days to finally look in the right place where he had been all along, which was right where he was supposed to be. Jesus must have known that Mary and Joseph would miss him, but their anxiety was not a result of any disobedience or lack of consideration on his part. They should have known where to look. But why had it taken them three days? Maybe we can say that worry clouded their thinking or, or that as imperfect human beings, they simply weren't able to connect the spiritual dots the way Jesus expected them to. But the fundamental problem they had was that they failed to remember and factor in what they had been told about this boy before he had even been born. When both Mary and Joseph had an angel explain who and what Jesus would be. All those other spots where they would have searched for him were the wrong places, first of all, because they thought of Jesus as a normal human boy. They had merely human expectations of him. How might a well-intentioned 12-year-old get lost? 
Where might a curious 12-year-old end up? What things might an innocent 12-year-old get caught up in? What dangers could an unsupervised 12-year-old fall into? He was special, bright, incredibly well-behaved and precious to them. But fundamentally, both their worries and their searches would have begun and ended with thinking of their son only as a boy. That thinking defined even more why all the other places they sought him were wrong. They had forgotten whose son Jesus also was and what that meant. For 12 years, they had raised a boy, keeping him fed, clothed, and safe from harm, given him a home and a family, educated him as best as they were able, and probably begun already to teach him Joseph's trade. It's easy to understand why their thinking and searching would have been so narrowly focused. But that meant that they had stopped thinking. Stopped thinking about how Gabriel told Mary that Jesus would be the Son of the Most High God. Stopped thinking about how the angel had told Joseph Jesus would save His people from their sins. Stopped thinking about how the angel had told the shepherds outside Bethlehem that their newborn baby was all the earth's Savior, Christ the Lord and stopped thinking about how aged Simeon had not only called Mary's son a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to God's people Israel, but also told her that Jesus would mean the fall and rise of many people and that because of Him, a sword would pierce her soul. In other words, Mary and Joseph had lost sight of the fact that Jesus was not just their son. He was the Son of God. And that as God's Son sent to earth, He had a mission to fulfill. And at 12 years old, it was now time for Him to take that mission seriously and prepare Himself for all that He was called to do, which on these days required Him to be in the temple in Jerusalem not on the way back to Nazareth. He wasn't there to wow or impress anyone with his knowledge or his goodness, though that happened. He was there to learn as much as he could from the teachers there. He asked probing questions, and they, as good educators, asked questions back, which he answered with a depth and understanding that no one would have ever expected from a 12-year-old. Now, in his state of humiliation, Jesus, the Son of God, did not make use of his perfect knowledge. He was still a boy who needed instruction. But because he had a perfect mind, unsullied and undistracted by sin, everything the Scriptures had to teach, he could take in and take to heart. He was fully human, but he was far from a normal boy because he was also fully God. If Mary and Joseph had remembered all these things, they would have looked for him first in just the right place. They would have realized that the one who came to teach and lead his people, 
and to fulfill the promises of Scripture would, of course, take advantage of this prime opportunity to learn and master the Scriptures from those best suited to teach Him. That was His heavenly Father's business, and this was a time for Him to be taking care of it. But this truth, this understanding was beyond His earthly parents. They didn't get it. Not yet, anyway. Eventually, all these things that Mary treasured in her heart would begin to make sense to her. But at this moment, neither she nor Joseph understood what Jesus was telling them. But they also knew that he was not being deliberately unclear, or arrogant, or rebellious. And so they rejoiced to have found him and took him home to Nazareth to finish the business of raising this boy to adulthood and the completion of the purpose for which he had been born. And it would be great if we could say that ever since then, everyone, or at least all Christians, have understood what Mary and Joseph did not, and have never again looked for Jesus in all the wrong places. But the sad truth is that people, even long-time members of churches, do it all the time. You know how people sometimes say, especially in holiday TV specials, that it would be wonderful if Christmas lasted all year long? Well, some people kind of do that with the way they think about Jesus. For them, it is as though that sweet little baby in the manger never grew up. And that's the way they like it. They look for Jesus only on the straw in the stable because looking for Him years later in the temple, chasing the merchants and money changers out of his father's house makes them uneasy. Because looking for him on a Galilean hillside, teaching that hating someone is the same as murder and lusting after someone is the same as adultery is just way too judgy for their tastes. Because looking for him on trial or on a cross, or leaving an empty tomb requires coming to terms with things like sin, death, damnation, and the need to believe. And they would just rather not. Sweet little baby Jesus is a comfortable kind of Savior who makes no demands on their lives or their souls. But even with a full-grown Jesus as our object, We can make the same kind of mistake as parents did, seeing him as only human and looking for him only where we'd expect to find a man like him. So some look for him at a podium or in a a pulpit, teaching philosophy or, or some kind of radical piety, a great moral teacher, making no claims to be anything else. And naturally, they would also look for his bones in a tomb on a Jerusalem hillside. Because, of course, a merely human Jesus would never have risen from the dead. But anyone looking for just a man will not find Jesus anywhere, not the real one, which means that he or she will not find a Savior either. Because the death of a merely human Christ would take away no one's sins and count for no one's death but his own. Still, Some people make the opposite error and look for an entirely divine Jesus and look for Him only 
in places of glory. They seek Him at at the head of a divine army vanquishing evil on the earth or in some kind of heavenly bookkeeper's office, keeping close track of everyone's sinful acts and balancing them with their good deeds. Or they seek Him on a throne soon to be established where He will rule over the nations and put everything right for His followers on this earth. The last places such people would ever look for their Jesus is at the mercy of His captors, on trial before His enemies or a petty Roman governor, being scourged by mocking soldiers or or gasping His last breath as He collapses into death on a cross. Those all too humble, all too shameful, all too human scenes don't fit with their idea of a Savior. But if they don't look for Him in those places, they will never find Jesus either. Because a strictly divine Christ could not submit to God's law and certainly could never die in the place of sinners. There is one other wrong place worth mentioning where people still look for Jesus. In a morality play or maybe an instructional video, I I suspect this is part of, of why the Holy Spirit did not choose to record for us more of Christ's childhood in, in any of the four Gospels. Imagine, imagine how oppressive it could be to have story after story of how perfectly obedient Jesus was in all things as a little boy. Not that he wasn't, and not that his obedience wasn't important for our salvation, but that those stories would so easily and so often have been misused by parents and teachers to tell their own merely human and thus sinful children when they struggle to obey, what's wrong with you? Why can't you be more like Jesus? It would be impossible for kids to live up to such a standard, and it would probably make them bitter, not better, and turn them away from Christ. But that's that's what always happens even with the best intentioned what-would-Jesus-do lessons that present Him primarily as a model for obedience and good works instead of primarily as the forgiving Savior and suffering servant that all children and all adults desperately need to know and trust. We can be thankful that this one picture we have here of his childhood, while it tells us Jesus was obedient to his parents, it does not actually give us an example of that obedience that could be misused to create guilt and obligation and bitterness in children or anyone else. What this account of the 12-year-old Jesus does give us is encouragement to look for Him in all the right places. And when we do, we always find Him taking care of His heavenly Father's business. Where exactly to look? There is only one place, really. The Bible. Not in the works of scholars or in almost Christian myths, and not in the imaginations of the sincerely spiritual 
Only in the Scriptures will we find what the Spirit has caused to be written down for our instruction and the strengthening of our faith, which is all that we need to know about the life and work of the real Jesus. The real Jesus who was both man and God in one person so that He could be our substitute both in perfectly obeying the law and in taking the punishment we deserved for our sins. So just as Mary and Joseph found Jesus in the temple, we will find Him taking care of His Father's business, carrying out the offices His Father gave Him. We find Him as our prophet, speaking God's Word as it is recorded in the Bible and continuing to teach through His servants and messengers in the church. We find Him as our King, ruling in the hearts and minds of believers and also reigning over all the universe as Lord, all for the sake of His people. We find Christ as our priest there on the cross of Calvary, offering Himself as the once-for-all sacrifice for the sins of all the world and also standing before His Father in heaven's glory, advocating for us when we sin and interceding for us when we pray. These are all the right places to look for Jesus. And everything good comes to us when we find Him there. Find Him in His Word. Find Him in the sacraments. Find Him in all His promises to save us, bless us, protect us, and take us with Him to live eternally in heaven. Sometimes we see Jesus in the manger. Sometimes in the temple. Sometimes among the crowds. Sometimes on the cross. But we will always find Emmanuel with us with the brothers and sisters He came to save, because Jesus will always be about His Father's business. Glory to God in the highest. Hallelujah. Amen.